0: everyone it's me ben blacker the other host and producer of dead pilot society um i'm thrilled to talk with my pal janet varney host of the jv club right here on the maximum fun network hi janet
1: hi blacker thank you so much for having me on i love your podcast i love being a part of your podcast from time to time and i'm so glad that you and andrew made it exist because it has amazing content that people would not be able to hear otherwise
0: Oh, thank you. And I am a big fan of the JV Club, which is why I um, am thrilled that you agreed to this feed swap because um, I think our our listeners will be fans of the show, too. Do you want to just give like a quick uh, synopsis of what the podcast is?
1: Sure, sure. So I've been doing the JV Club for nine years. Someone uh, had to tell me that it was my nine-year anniversary just this, uh, this month. And uh, I have been talking to... Famous and not-so-famous people for the last nine years about their awkward teenage years. Blacker, you've certainly been on it. You were an early guest uh, in a hot room upstairs in an old (laughs) comic shop in Los Angeles. And uh, I have found it to be—I just have never gotten tired of it. It is such an era in people's lives that, you know, they've got— some distance from it so I think they have a sense of humor about it but also are willing to maybe be more candid about experiences they had then and I am super not into prying into people's present day so it's it just proved to be in ways I didn't even imagine a wonderful way into getting to know someone and their vulnerabilities and their humanity uh that sort of makes us all feel like oh okay so we're all kind of lost and broken but it's hilarious (laughs)
0: great let's do this (laughs) and it is i mean listen i think i've said this to you in the past and maybe it was like seven years ago or whenever we did our episode but i'm such a um interview snob that like it takes a really good interviewer for me to get interested in a podcast and i think you are such a good interviewer it's all it always feels like a natural conversation um and i think that's part of the appeal of like listening to the show, but also for the guests who have been on the show that like they feel comfortable opening up and being honest and laughing at their past selves. And like, it's such a warm, um, warm and funny show that it's like it's like hanging out with you for an hour.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Well, that means the world to me. And I, I think it is one of those situations where I I would have stopped doing it if it weren't if it didn't go well And if it didn't go well, it would mean that I probably was not having a good time. You know, I don't, I think that is one of those things where you sort of stumble into something that, uh, like, I wanted to have a podcast. I didn't know exactly what I wanted it to look like. At the time, nine years ago, I felt like everyone had a podcast, which is adorable. (laughs) What a darling thing to have thought was true nine years ago when you look at the scope of podcasts now. Um, And, you know, I, that it's just, I just love, I'm a total people person and, um, and I think that, that sort of shows through. But if you don't like me, you will not like the podcast. You will get very tired of it very quickly. But I'm likable. It's okay, guys. Give her a listen. It's fun.
0: <laughs> well, people, folks will, folks will see from this episode um, that they're about to listen to just how likable you are. Uh, just how great the podcast oh, is. Oh, God,
1: please let that be true. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean... I get. It. Uh, are there are there other episodes? So, if people enjoy this one, are there like favorite episodes that you've had, or great jumping on episodes that you think folks would enjoy also?
1: Absolutely. I mean, some of the ones that come to mind that I definitely get great feedback on year after year after year are you know uh, episodes like the Kristen Bell episode, um, Keegan Michael Key. Uh, who is a friend to Dead Pilot Society and the Thrilling mm-hmm. Adventure Hour? As well, is one of my favorite episodes because it just runs the gamut. It's super candid. It is very inspiring. It's hilarious. It's it's Keegan through and through, and uh, and so that is definitely a favorite. Um, and then I have a bunch of live episodes. That were done at various places all, at festivals all over. There's an episode, for example, that's live with uh, John Hamm and Rachel Dratch, who are friends in real life, and musical guest Matt Nathanson. That is uh, another favorite. So there's a ton to listen to. Uh, about 75 percent of it is uh, female guests, and then the other 25 is gents and uh, or I guess non-binary and. Um, and it, it, so there's a huge selection. I think the most intimidating thing is scrolling back through nine years yeah. of feed. So, but you can, you can find some favorites, uh, even if you just give it to Google.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a deep history that folks can go check out and it's all, it's interesting too. Um, I listened just like uh, maybe a year ago to one of the older episodes. I don't remember why I happened to listen to it, but it was like a neat snapshot of eight years ago or something as well as being this great conversation about the person's youth. It was really cool.
1: Oh, I'm so glad you like it. Well, as you know, and I've said, um, I love that you do Dead Pilot Society. I, in the time that I've been A part of those shows, I've always met at least one person who was either already a hero of mine in television, film, or theater, or became one by virtue of meeting them and getting a chance to read with them at your shows. I mean, it's just—it's such a great energy. It's so fun to— I mean you know what in a weird way the what we do they're not so disconnected because again you have these writers who you know some of them are less known some of them have had huge successes with things that you have heard of but knowing that those people that you look up to and admire have had quote-unquote failures where they're like and they very candidly talk about it, like yeah it was here then it went there and then we thought it was going to be that and then they just hated it so it never got made and there's something reassuring about that, you know, of knowing like, oh yeah, this is tough. It's tough, no matter what you're doing. It's tough, no matter how high you get, you know, in the in the on the sort of feeding chain. What is that a thing? Um, the whole feeding chain. I guess food chain. But <laughs> have you fed? That's like so vampiric. Fed. The feeding frenzy that is Hollywood. Frenzy that is Hollywood. You know, I love that aspect of it. I love. Those conversations and then getting to hear, you know, something on its feet that and -hmm. and hearing how happy it makes the writers uh, to hear and experience and make it come alive in this new way.
0: Um, There's something I think you hit on something that I think at least I always look for in podcasts and really like any sort of conversation show. And that's this honesty that you don't always get in, you know, a press kit or. Yeah. Even like in everyday life, when you just have the sort of fleeting encounters, but when you get to sit down with someone for an hour and ask, like, tell me about this, or how did this happen, or what went right, or what went wrong, like, I think we're always looking for that thing that sort of penetrates the bubble and really gets to the, the realness of a person's experience. Um, I think. Yeah. That's what you're you're talking about. That we you know we try to do in Dead pilot Society in a much lighter way, but I think that we always get in the JV Club in um, uh, uh, a richer way, uh, and it's 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 what all all my favorite podcasts do too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What's well, so funny because you and I both share a love of the that game Werewolf, which <laughs> feels like I know it feels like it's off on a tangent, but that is another example of just a new way of seeing your friends or a new way um. of experiencing people as you sort of get, it's, it is is kind of like that. It's like a performance, right? You have the performance of the game of, and if you're not familiar with what werewolf is, it's very silly. It's, listen, a great opportunity for me to say, have you fed <laughs> and talk about being <laughs> um, But, you know, you could play it like Mafia. Basically, you're playing a game where everybody puts their head down. Two Two people are assigned as the killers. Yada, yada, yada. You're trying to, quote unquote, survive these people who are secretly murdering you. And there's a lot of accusations that take place. People have to defend themselves. No, it's not me. And so it's a real game of uh, of, like honesty and also how much can you fool your friends? And (laughs) I think you and I both have such a fascination, like a psychological fascination with how people's minds work. And it's such a really fun way to go, wait a minute, like you, you've got some hidden talents in here. You are very gifted. I mean, that, all of that stuff, again, is just like, what is a what is a way to better understand what it means to be a human being? And when they happen to be talented, funny, wonderful folks, um, you're just going to get, you're just gonna, it's gonna pay off.
0: Absolutely. And I think we, we both enjoy surrounding ourselves with the talented, lovely uh, folks. Um, and I was looking at some Dead Pilot Society episodes for like what to drop in the old JV club feed. Uh, and I was going to do the John Hodgman one.
1: I was um, just gonna that's so funny. I was just thinking about that. I was like, I wonder if I'll say John Hodgman. Go it's ahead. It's
0: so good. It's called Only Child. Um, it's and it was like one of our first, it may have been our first live show. You invited us to come up to Sketchfest to San Francisco yeah. Sketchfest and do it. And I think it was was our first live show. Um, and it was so much fun, and John's script is so funny and so good. And um, in it, uh, Hodgman plays um, himself at 12 years old. And the premise, and this was well before Pen15, too. I was about to say,
1: is was, was absolutely preempted that, yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, he would be an adult playing a 12-year-old, but all the other kids would be kids. Um, and then at the end of it, uh, Kristen Schaal would join him as another 12-year-old. Um, and it's a great... Episode, I would urge people to check it out because it's not what I'm going to put in the <laughs> JV Club feed. Because I remember That was a very
1: werewolfian <laughs> Love it.
0: Um, I remembered that we did um a read of Big, the adaptation that um Mike Royce and Kevin Beagle wrote of the Tom Hanks movie. with jason ritter and you and frankie shaw and ag and natalie morales like it was such a fun read it was such a fun cast and you and jason were so good together and you were like a little kid in that and he's the one who gets big um and you got you played all the levels in that it was really fun because i'm
1: basically a child so that's (laughs) the right person
0: Oh, sure. But you were, you were the mature child in it too. Like, I don't know. I'm excited for people to check that one out because I think it, it often, again, it's like way back in the feed. So it kind of gets passed over. But I love that episode.
1: So great. That's a great choice. But you should also listen to the other one that we just talked about. <laughs> Go
0: that listen to Only Child.
1: Divine. They will anyway, because if they are fans of our shows, there's no doubt that they enjoy John Hodgman and should experience exactly. that uh, writing of his because he's a delightful human being.
0: Absolutely. Um, and it's been fun um, in Dead Pilots to like stumble on a lot of these pilots from people we know or people we don't know that well or only know from TV um, to see like what are these skeletons in their closet? And they're always good. Like we don't put these on to make fun of them. They're really yeah. like, it's a lot of like, how did this not get made? This I is know. a great show.
1: I know, anyway. it's so true. No, that's absolutely the case. And um, I mean, I don't think I've, I've ever, I've never heard one that uh, uh, most of the time, if you hear something and you are hit with that, the answer is usually because it's too smart. <laughs> too unique, <laughs> yeah. as too strong of a point of view, um, or just like arbitrarily, whatever was going on in the zeitgeist of who, yeah. what people thought they should be making, it just like, it just skips right pat and then it's gone. And then, yeah. and, and, and the timing of that is so extraordinary. And so again, having these snapshots where you make it possible, not only for the shows to be heard and enjoyed, That they also are perennial because they're not tied to a given pilot season or a news cycle or what have you, uh, that they just continue to live on. I mean, uh, that's such a gift. That's such a gift to the writing community as well.
0: You are much more astute about my podcast than. I am. Thank you. <laughs> I I didn't realize it goes so deep. Uh, I, I just we'll like just to work with fun people. Hosting each
1: other's podcasts? I don't know. You you have a great sensibility about mine. So this this is a weird, like freaky Friday almost big moment where for suddenly for a year we are just hosting each other's podcasts.
0: <laughs> oh, the fans would love it. The fans would love it. They, um, they want
1: nothing more. They want nothing more.
0: <laughs> Janet, it is always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for saying such nice things. Thank you for putting out such a great show. Um, For folks who are uh, new to JV Club, enjoy this episode. For folks who are new to Dead Pilot Society, enjoy this episode. Enjoy this
1: episode. (laughs) Absolutely, Ben. Thank you so much for asking me. And uh, I love being on this wonderful network and celebrating all the great stuff that comes from it.
0: Yeah, we are up in Max Fund Drive right now. So, folks, if you are... um, a member and or you are a new member um, or supporter i don't know they want us to call it something but listen thank you for supporting both of our shows and when you go <laughs> yes. on to support uh make sure that you click on um you there's a little you can put a check mark that's how it works you put a check Give mark a next check to mark. dead pilot society and jv club and pick a couple others that you like Absolutely.
1: why not and and by the <laughs> way just because you don't check someone's name of course you will absolutely be checking the Pilot (laughs) Society and the JV Club but even for some of those great podcasts whose name you don't happen to check you still get access to all of their additional bonus content as well so you can't lose and yet you will check those too but we love you for it we love you for it (laughs) we just start a a giant turf war with all of our friends who are all on MaxFun (laughs)
0: Yeah, come at us, Mark and Hal. Let's see what happens.
1: The (laughs) toughest guys in podcasting. (laughs) Amazing. Thanks again. Thank you so much, Blacker, for having me.
0: Thank you, Janet. Let us talk soon.
1: With the wonderful Angela Kinsey, <gasps> thank you. Um, and she is Angela on the Office. I am, and uh, we have known each other kind of in the comedy community for uh, here in Los Angeles since pretty much since I got down here. You're one of the people. You may not remember this, but you're one of the people that I met pretty fast because I was sort of hopping around the io west mm-hmm. which is short for improv olympic which is um a great uh, improv school and theater yeah. in la and that's sort of the world that you came
2: out right. of i was performing there i pretty much was like i would do any show yeah <laughs> just, <laughs> just just get me on stage yeah not a huge audience sunday night at 11 fyi yeah I've, maybe that's changed yeah i don't know that it has i've done mm-hmm. a, a few shows there and i
1: feel like sometimes but you know what weirdly sometimes the best shows i've done have been like the audience know, of two I people know. who are just going to be on board for whatever yeah. you do because they are there to support so excited! gosh darn it dag nabbit but now that's where the similarities kind of end in terms of when we go backwards towards being a kid and being a teenager and talking about our crazy dorky teenage experiences you um
2: were born i think you were born in the south where you're yes i was from, born in louisiana mm-hmm. in lafayette Lafayette, Louisiana Lafayette, Louisiana um, And then right around my second birthday We moved to Jakarta, Indonesia See, now yeah. that Let's take a That's moment That's when things get That is when
1: things yeah. get I can't relate to that at all But mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by it And, um, and
2: I'm, I would love to hear uh, How and why My dad's a drilling engineer, and uh, there was an oil company that he was recruited by, and we went there, and my mom thought he was crazy. It was like, you know, in the 70s, and my mom was from a small town in Texas, like living... In in the south And she's like We're going where? Why? (laughs) Are you serious? (laughs) Sure (laughs) And then I had three older sisters And you know She loaded up her girls How old were the other girls? Well here's the thing I was kind of a surprise baby Okay I say surprise My mom says a miracle There you go. God's miracle. Because that's what moms do. They put that great spin on things. Well, they wouldn't Um, love you otherwise. I know. They wouldn't love you at all. I thought I was an accident. No, you were not. God's miracle. So, But um, my sisters are much older than me, so I had... Two and I had one in college and two in high school, and then me at two years old when we moved to Indonesia. And,
1: and so the one in college did not go, but she, the two yeah, in high school did. Didn't.
2: She came for the summer, and she was like, "This is where you guys live. This is crazy." Oh my gosh, yeah.
1: What was it like? Uh, what
2: was the What was the area that you were living in? Like, was it really rural? Was it really metropolitan? No, it's it... a huge city. Mm-hmm. Just think of like moving to Los Angeles, but the um, the difference between incomes was so vast. So you would yeah. be at a red light and. There there would be a Mercedes next to you and then um, a guy in, uh, driving a Baychock. And the Baychock oh is, gosh. you've probably seen it in movies and stuff, but it's like someone who sits behind a little seat and they pedal you around yeah, town. Yeah, yeah, So there'd be a Baychock driver and then there would be um, homeless people begging for money. Shh. All at one intersection, you know. Yeah. So it was always like, I was very aware at a young age that there were a lot of people who had nothing. Yeah. Because I saw it all the time. Yeah. Which I try to tell my three-year-old daughter, in LA It's hard to it's, not yeah, it's so much through. more
1: Isolating in Los Angeles It's really you, you would literally Have to take her And drive her
2: downtown And drive her around I've become a cliche of to her encounters. Like if she yeah. Like I try to get her To eat a vegetable And she like flicks it On the ground I'm like Do you know There are little kids Who have no food In the world I have witnessed it firsthand. Mm-hmm. I'm not just that mom Who's saying it Vaguely And then my friend's like And you're kind of Going dark with her Kind of early I'm like no, no
1: That's you're the real one. No you're not I, th- I have tremendous Respect for you having had that experience and it having left that kind of an imprint on you, and I, I would never—I don't think anybody would question that you're a better, more spiritually rich person. And so, and so, you grew up living there, obviously it's incredibly different from living here. Um, What was it like for you living there? Maybe a little taste of your childhood there. And then when you found out when you were 14, that you guys were moving back to the States,
2: what was that like? I did not want to move back to the U S the only world I knew. Did you remember? You didn't remember it at all. No, we would come home in the summers. Uh, We would come home um, when I got older, when I was younger, we stayed there pretty much straight for a few years, but then we would come back and we would go to Louisiana and Texas Mm -hmm. and, Um, and then also kind of oddly enough we'd go to Singapore and Hong Kong and sometimes Japan so I had these very fun summers but I always had about four weeks in the US Uh two in Texas two in Louisiana I'd go to a family reunion I'd make a mud pie (laughs) you know I'd like have a sparkler on 4th of July homemade popsicle it was great great place to visit yeah did not want to move here. Yeah. And I and the only reason why I didn't want to move here is I just didn't know it. Yeah. I didn't understand what it would be like to live here. And my all my friends, you know, that's the hardest thing about moving when you're a kid is yeah. that your social world, your friends, is so important to you. Yeah. And so I really cried. I didn't want to go back. I begged my mom and dad if I could stay in Indonesia and live with a family mm-hmm. friend. And finish out high school. My mom was like, Absolutely not. I'm not leaving you in Indonesia for, you know, four years. Yeah. And so we moved to the US and then my school in Indonesia, I was ahead in a few subjects. That's the other thing in America. We are really forgetting our public school system. Yeah. It's really sad. Yeah. Um so I come back to the US and we moved to Dallas, and the first part of the day at my school, I was at a middle school, which was seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. Mm-hmm. And then my mom would came and picked me up, so that made me a huge dork already. <laughs> my mom picked me up at uh, lunch. I didn't get to eat lunch in the cafeteria and meet people. Oh, I she ate lunch, you up at lunch with my mom, and <gasps> wow. she drove me to the high school, which was just tenth, eleventh, and twelfth graders. Yeah, and then I finished the day at the high school. Oh, that's yeah. so confusing. So horrible. When you're trying so, to acclimate, anyway, uh, I'm new to the U.S. My oh, first year, I'm no. new to two schools, no. and at both schools, I'm a freak. What's up? This is why I'm in oh, comedy. Because what heart. do you do? You either yeah. turn like dark and scary yeah or you just make fun of it all you gotta protect yourself somehow yeah so then I'm at a 10th and 11th and 12th grade huge school in Dallas 5A that's as big as they get it's like a community college yeah and I'll tell you what the people that were the nicest to me at the high school were the burners okay (laughs) all right the people sitting outside having a smoke yeah um they were just like, what is your deal, man? <laughs> you want to hang out? And I was like, sure. And um, I was really, like, uh, straight-laced. and You were? Oh, yeah. I, like... I didn't get into a lot of mischief because my sister Tina got into a lot of mischief. And I think if you have an older sibling that kind of gets in a lot of trouble... that. You just don't have any interest. It's like, oh, I just don't feel like having mom and dad yell at me because I snuck out, whatever. Yeah. And you... Yeah, you're
1: watching the experience of the mm -hmm. bad stuff and you're not experiencing personally the quote-unquote fun stuff that might make it worth it or whatever.
2: Yeah, totally. I just saw like the arguments and the fighting. Yeah, yeah. are getting grounded all the time. And so I became incredibly honest with my parents I was Mm -hmm. like hey um So I think I'm going to go hang out with these guys and gals tonight at a party. They're older than me, and they might be drinking and doing stuff, but I don't really want to do any of it. My mom would be like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Instead of my sister. Should I go with you? Yeah. So, um, and then I would like call my mom from there, like, hey, mom, (laughs) this is pretty lame. Yeah. I'm not into it. Not into it. Come get me.
1: But you were from, but you did be kind of become friends with like your, when you settled in a little bit more. God, I'm just having trouble imagining a whole that, yeah, I did the that, period of time that you were
2: how long did you say did you were doing? I did that for a year a and full then year a of year, going to two different yeah. schools. Well we moved in December so I guess it was the latter end of yeah. um, ninth grade and part of and then 10th grade I was at the big high school uh-huh. but the, it was hard being at the big high school being in ninth grade because there was no one my age Yeah, you know? Yeah, And then I missed all the pep rallies and after school stuff at the with kids my age at yeah. the middle school because yeah. they happen after school and I'd be at the high school. So then um, we did that and then my dad decided because he'd been transferred by this big company my dad decided to go into business for himself and move us to guess where? Where my grandparents live the town of 1800 people called Archer City and they have a farm there. Listen I had only ever lived in a huge city my whole life. Yeah. Jakarta? Huge Huge city. Dallas, big city. So I'd been to my grandparents' farm, you know, to visit. Right. So my dad sat us down and was like, I'm not happy in Dallas. I'm not happy. You know, I wasn't really happy with this big move that we did. The company is different here. I want to go into business for myself and be a drilling consultant. I can live anywhere. And where I want to live is on the land that we own in Mm. North Texas. Mm. And I was like, so wait, you want us to move again? And he was like, yes, to Archer City. And at this point, I just went, fine. Fine. I was like, seriously, Dad. I can live in Timbuktu and I'll find my way now because I just went through this hell year. Yeah. My mom said that um, she would drive me that first year where I was going to two schools. She would drive me to school and I'd cry on my way to school, and then she would let me out and she said she'd cry on the drive back to our house. No, it was a tough year.
1: Yeah. Well, how did so? Did you feel like? I mean, you you talked about the people who were nice to you and the guy, the burners that were smoking and stuff. Yeah. Did you make? I mean, if you were willing to just go and move on to the farmland, it sounds like maybe you didn't even did you have uh, did you manage to make any close uh, girlfriends? Or? I didn't. I
2: actually in, in um, Dallas that whole year, I was just like this weird satellite outside of the mm-hmm. community of mm-hmm. school because I was not really at either yeah. school. So, I didn't form any huge bonds with anyone there. Did you take it any was, classes that you were excited about? Like theater or... No, uh-uh. Didn't even get in.
1: You just kind of got didn't, through.
2: Yeah, I just got through. Mm-hmm. I just was like putting one foot in front of the other, and I kind of checked out and was like a little numb there. Yeah. And um, and it was hard to make friends, because I wasn't... I was never at either school during like very social times. Yeah. um, And so... I just hoped that once that year was over and I was at one school, things would change. Yeah, and then we moved. Yeah, and what was interesting is, um, um, I I moved to the U.S. and I just wanted everyone to like me. And at my school in Indonesia, I was just myself, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. And I had this straight, stringy hair. I was kind of like a beach girl. We didn't like in Indonesia, like it was kind of that beach vibe. Like you didn't curl your hair and wear a lot of makeup. Mm-hmm. And I got to the U.S. and in dallas Oof, everyone had big hair and lots of makeup switch. i know so i went crazy with big hair and makeup <laughs> <laughs> this will Try make them and like me i'll fit in now <laughs> and then um when we moved to archer city for my junior year i just i went back to not caring yeah. so i was like i don't care anymore yeah that last year sucked and i cared way too much and i'm just going to be me again so like i actually ended up just having a great time in this small town I think because I just wrote it off and thought I'm just going to be me nothing can be as bad as last year nothing can be as bad exactly and then I went there and I loved I made great friends that are still friends of mine to this day and I was a hundred percent fish out of water yeah I didn't know what a rodeo was (laughs) I did not have a driver's license because in Indonesia we couldn't drive yeah that was the other thing you know you move to the US and everyone knows how to drive like they kids learn how to drive so young here yeah um Especially in farm country, because they will drive a tractor or sure. a pickup truck on the farm, and there's nothing they can hurt or run into. Right. Um, so all those people knew how to drive, and they just took me in, and just like I was different, and they loved it because they were so tired of everything mm-hmm. being the same in this small town. Nice. So yeah. And so is that? Did did is that when you kind of got into? Did you get when did you get into performing? I guess is my oh, question. Well, I did that all along. You like did. when I was four years old my mom asked uh, me what I wanted to be. She'd asked my sister. My sister said a dump truck driver. Um, Nice. Yeah, I know. And since that was taken by your sister, you couldn't do that. My uncle at the time was driving dump trucks and she thought that was rad. She saw one while we were home. While we were home for the summer, she just thought it was really cool. (laughs) So um, I said, at four, I said Carol Burnett like I just oh, knew there just it knew. is yeah and I think that's like one of the coolest gifts that I've ever been given you know whether you believe in God or not but it's um to me to know very early on what I wanted yeah cuz I saw um, one of my sisters sort of keep changing her mind as life has gone on, even yeah. now into adulthood. Yeah. And starting over is hard. And yeah. every time you do, you're just sort of searching for yourself. Yeah, And I think when you know so early on, the things around you can change and the people can change, but you still know yourself and your core and what you want. Yeah. And that's what I wanted. I wanted family and I wanted to perform. That's awesome. So I was the kid in the neighborhood in Indonesia like I would write little plays or skits oh. and I would make my friends or my dad or mom be different parts and then when we got to the US to Dallas that year that was so like crappy even though I was at two schools I did grease at the middle school mm-hmm. and I did um, I did like a talent show at the um high school which was horrifying. I I did like a monologue from like a <laughs> serious play like I'm already an outsider that's what teenage kids mm-hmm. want to hear as totally.
1: a serious monologue, yeah, at I did a talent some monologue. Show. while everyone Horrible. else is probably like busting oh, a no, move no, and no. like what being it was wacky. Was, like, I
2: also um had the body of like like a two by four plank of wood you know what I mean like I was just a stick yeah <laughs> no curves I mean if I cut my hair short I'd look like a boy like uh-huh. I was such a skinny string bean and um so I'm in this talent show and I do like some <laughs> monologue and they're girls like Dressed like Britney Spears I'm like sure. singing and dancing. And I'm yeah. like And now for my monologue. Oh When in disgrace and fortune and oh. eyes. <laughs> like some Did you think sonnet. about
1: that going in when you made the decision to do it? Did you have the moment of like I wonder if this is gonna fit in with what else everybody else is doing? Or are you just like this is going to be no gold.
2: I, I was taking like a drama class and my drama teacher was like she was in charge of the talent show and she wanted to round it out and she was like Angela that monologue you did in class is so good you should do it Ah, silly <laughs> silly adult talking me into it because she's trying to make her talent show more diverse but um, I actually like uh, I remember having this one proud moment because everyone went quiet at the end when I like had this emotional moment and, like everyone went quiet and then I got a little bit of slow clap. You but they did thought not. I, was, I, I did. Oh, that is But classic. they still thought I was a freak. Oh, okay. It was like, oh, slow clap. Freak girl. Did slow good, clap stayed slow yeah. clap. It did not erupt <laughs> no, into a standing ovation. Erupt, but I got a smattering of applause. <sighs> but, uh, but yeah. And, but did you do a good job? I did. Screw them. I did. I knew I did a good job because like this one jock guy who was like picking on everyone and like one of the front rows stopped and he like listened. <laughs> and then he like he actually like treated me a little differently from then on like just like you're serious but I wasn't I'm like a like a total comedian yeah but but anyway you, you
1: didn't want to be typecast. I didn't want to and be typecast from an early age. You knew that you had to show that you had range. Yes,
2: exactly. Um, but I just know in what, case that footage ever gets out, people will oh, know that God. what you're capable. of. Thank God of. I was before the internet and before people filmed. Sh- right? stuff. Right. I think about that too. Oh, oh my gosh, so much stuff. I think I did. about I'm that so, glad. so many times out in L. A. Like some ridiculous oh, yeah. stuff Danielle and I did in sketch shows. Yeah. <laughs> Although I do think there's footage somewhere. Oh, I'm scary. sure there scary. is. Um, can I? You know, what, can we just jump back? really quickly because
1: if i were listening to this i would want to know please don't do that (laughs) please don't do that angela please don't sip that iced tea too late all right I don't know how we're going to bounce back from this um where are you going back Sam? I uh, well I just want to, I if I were listening to this I uh, I would have wanted to know a little bit just a little bit more about the diversity of your school in Indonesia because I know that you spoke mm-hmm. obviously Indonesian mm-hmm. in addition to English was it uh an all-English speaking school was it were you where were you learning the language and using it and where were you using English this is a very good question thank
2: you um so in Indonesia at the time um The government actually had a rule that if you were a non-speaking, if you're an expatriate, that you, um, as a child, you had to take Indonesian Mm -hmm. starting, I think it was in fourth grade, Mm -hmm. which I think is awesome. I think we start our language programs way too late. Um, The rest of the world speaks a lot of languages, you know, like if you go to Europe or anywhere else. Yeah. So. At my school, starting in fourth grade, I was taught proper Indonesian, but I had already been living there for a long time. And whenever you live in another culture, you just pick up. I knew a lot of the street language, um, which when I then started taking classes at school, um, my friends and I that had been there since like... We were little, we were fluent, but we drove our teacher crazy because we were fluent in such street slang. Yeah. So she was always honest. Like, for example, there's a word that means no, and it's tida, and that's like a proper way to say no, tida. But my, and then street slang is unga, uh, and then super street slang is like ngah. Like mm-hmm, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. out. So like we would say and our teacher would be like, Ah anyway, this is a random Indonesian tangent. But um It's fine, it's fascinating. But we started so we started language in fourth grade and um you had to study it all the way through. And then they started you on other languages, um, in sixth grade. So I was all set to be starting French. I yeah. had Three years of Spanish, and I was supposed to be starting. French. Oh, that's so great! And so when we when we came to the oh U.S. When we came to the U.S., some of my things didn't transfer, so I took Spanish 4 at the school in Dallas. Yeah. And then we moved to Archer City, and this is a very small... I mean, imagine very, you.
1: Ima- that's so
2: amazing. Imagine you with your languages and your experiences moving to, to that town. Crazy, though, because I go to register for class, and I'd never been to a school this small. So the first thing I said was, um, what's my locker combination? And the woman was like, Oh, we don't use any lock. any common lockers don't have any locks. We don't have any I was like, what if someone takes your stuff? But like you were in school, like you know I graduated everyone. with thirty four people. Yeah. They just looked at me like, Are you crazy? Like I felt like I'd moved to like some very quaint Norman Rockwell sure, town. Sure. Like and so I was like, Okay, I don't need a padlock, okay? And um so then I'm like signing up for classes and I go, I'll take Spanish four, please. And she looked at me and she goes um, our Spanish only goes to Spanish two. And I said, Oh, okay. Well, then I'll take French one. And she goes, we don't have French. Oh. And I said, What do you have? Do you have German? Um, she goes, No, we have Spanish one and two. Oh. So I had tested out of the yeah. Spanish, which was crazy. Would you like to teach Spanish three? I could have. I could have because there, there was like a coach, a volleyball coach teaching it. And I was like, I was like, in the library one time where she was, um, I had like free period and she was like giving a quiz in the library. And I was just like, I know all the answers. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> now, did you have, okay. So did you have, uh, and what about racial
2: diversity in Indonesia? Oh, all in the schools? nationalities. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I forgot about that part. It was a, it was called Jakarta international school. And my best friends were from, you know, Holland and Hungary and, a lot of uh, had friends from the philippines just all over all over and a lot of my childhood memories of you know how you have memories of teasing someone yeah yeah they don't they don't transfer at all and like <laughs> when i've been performing <laughs> at improv olympic yeah. and like i'll be doing a like a monologue or some kind that the improvisers then you know sure use the material was seen off of yeah um like we were talking about like nicknames and stuff and we had a guy in my school named Ramesh, and he was from Pakistan. And um, we thought he was incredibly hairy for a young guy. And so we, as kids, teased him, we called him Ramesh Rambutan. And I was like, we called him Ramesh Rambutan. And there's just silence. Then, like blank silence. And I go, because Rambutan is a really hairy fruit in uh, Indonesia. Uh, <laughs> and there's like silence. No translation. You know, like I don't know. And I didn't watch television growing up, which is very. But like, well, you I, knew Carol Burnett? I knew Carol Burnett because um, we would come back to the US and it was like I, I oh my gosh just this insane drug cultural overload oh my goodness I w- I felt like you know like um like in the fifth element when yeah what on. is this box yeah. with pictures and then she sits there and like watches TV for hours that's yeah. what I would do my mom would get so mad at me she'd be like you're not playing outside with any of your cousins we're here yeah. to visit them and I would just be like and mom Like there's 800 shows on Stop being such a hairy fruit mom. I know
1: Stop being a Rambutan Stop being a Rambutan uh, Okay So if I were a boy Uh huh Um and in, in, living in Archer City, uh-huh. and I met you. I would think that you were the most fascinating creature who's <laughs> ever walked the earth. So, how was that for you? I mean, it doesn't sound like you did too much kind of dating or flirting or cr- maybe your crushes on people when you were um your when yeah in your year in Dallas. I did nothing
2: in Dallas. I just was like you had really, your head down. I did. Through. I just. In the beginning, I wanted everyone to like me, and then within a few months, I just wanted no one to notice me because I was so just like, Mm. "Where am I?" Um, When you went home at night, did you keep a journal or anything? Like, did you talk to anyone about what I did? I've always kept a journal.
1: I have to say, I used to, and I somehow stopped.
2: I always wrote like all through like high school, college. I wrote in a journal, yeah, and even into like um, my early time here. I'll tell you when I stopped is when. I had a baby Uh and then I I got like a baby journal to write down little stories about her and I try to send like a monthly email to my parents with things she said so someday I'll print them all out but like that's really what um, kicked me in the tush for free time was having a toddler Wow,
1: I don't have that excuse. I'm so impressed that you that you kept journal writing all the way up through having... I mean, until yeah. you had her, because that's...
2: I have them all. I kind of want to burn some of them, because you know never what? Never. Don't. You know one thing you do when you're that young, or not even that young, but when you sort of write your feelings, it's also sad sacky you know, know your journals are all like oh whoa it's me i love it though it's pretty great i read from one of my journals that i kept when i interned on conan o'brien yeah right out of college yeah. i had what a great memoir to be able yeah. to have he was cracking up and he was like wanting the audience to know like this is not a plant this is her journal <gasps> like i had like i mean like tickets wait a minute to, back up what you kept a journal when you were at Conan and somehow he got his hands on it and trotted no, no, no. it out to the audience? No, uh-uh. no, 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 no. He was saying, like, cause wow. you always meet with um, a segment producer before you go on a talk show. Yeah, so and when you
1: t- came back
2: to do yeah, it. Yeah, so I said, um, you know, I still have my journal from oh, when I worked here. awesome. And I was like, there's some stories I can't share. <laughs> but uh, And they were like, oh, you've got to bring that. You've got to bring yeah. that. Yeah, so you did. Yeah, and oh, I read like a so little cool. excerpt where I was really excited because if you stayed late with the writers, you got free food. <laughs> nice. No. score <laughs> score free food um okay I and, I and i definitely
1: want to talk about um your time a little bit about your time at conan but um so let's go back to boys 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 okay, boys in, archer in high city. school in archer, in archer okay. city so how was that oh you were goodness. pretty still pretty straight laced very straight laced did um, you go through so in because of your sister you never really went through the like screw you mom and dad phase i never did i never did um I think as um, much probably because of how your parents were older and they had gone through that as much as yeah, you seeing your sisters ex- go exactly. through that
2: my parents when I think you're the baby of the family like when you're I was the last of four yeah four girls surprise, had worn them out a miracle yeah my but my sisters had worn them out and yeah. they were older yeah and older parents are mellow people and, Guess you, what? and so your desire
1: to rebel is also yeah. going to be less because totally. you're not going to feel that stringent kind yeah. of
2: yeah but my mom my mom was tough my dad was the pushover my mom was tough and um, my dad traveled a lot for work so it was my mom and I alone a lot so mm-hmm. we would we would bonk heads mm-hmm. but she had like a lot of rules like I couldn't have boys in my room with the door shut mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. had to keep the door open I which feel like now, that was true for me too now like that I have a daughter I'm like heck yeah the door is staying open yeah I know um,
1: I know what went on even when the door was open know, in my life yeah. so now I would want my kid probably in okay. the living room in front of me
2: totally um well I I ended up like I I tutored like a few like athletes in Archer oh, I City. Love this. So that was fun and um and I think I became like an interesting project for a few people, girls and guys included, like they wanted to do my hair, they wanted like all <laughs> these things I didn't know like like I didn't I just didn't have any of that growing up in Indonesia. So yeah. like one of my friends took me in, we got my hair permed. <laughs> oh, you got it! And I had crazy wall bangs, oh. and and then, um, like one of my guys. And friends, so wall
1: bangs for for those uh, young listeners who might not know. That's oh. when you're sort of straight up and curled back, like yeah. A, like a surf like a wave almost. Take your hair backwards. and spray
2: it straight up, yeah. from your forehead, yeah. and then only curled it in. Yes, I had. So it. So you look like a claws on your head. Yeah. Um, and then you do it out out by your ears too. Oh, that is. So we did Fabulous. that, and and boys, um, I somehow became all their best friend, mm-hmm. and that kind of sucked mm-hmm. because then when you like someone, you're everyone's buddy, yeah, you know. So that kind of happened, and then um, I ended up my senior year dating a guy older than me. He was from my hometown, but he was um, a junior in college, mm-hmm. and then that made all my guy friends in high school mad. They're like, mm-hmm. "Why are you dating him? So much How older, dare you?" Um and uh and my dad when he asked me out he was a friend of the family and when he asked me out my dad said um i said dad and i won't say his name i was like but he asked me out and um and he i really want to go and he was like well if he wants to take you out he has to come over here and talk to me i was like oh dad are you serious that's so lame and he was like sorry he's got to come here and meet with me if he wants Mm -hmm, to take you out mm -hmm. so i told my mom i was like mom can you believe that so then this guy came over, not even on the night we went out, just like had to come meet the dad. An interview, a job yeah. interview. Came in the front. And you know that like room by the front door that no one uses? Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like a fake living room. Uh-huh. I don't even know why you have it. Uh-huh. But we had the fake fancy living room oh, um, yes. with no TV in it and like yes. furniture you couldn't do anything, like couldn't sit Furniture on. that crackles when you sit yeah, on it exactly. because it's from underuse. Uh huh. And it's the room my mom put the Christmas tree in. So he came in and dad took him in that room and we had a a door to it like a hallway door and my dad shut the hallway door oh my gosh yeah I was like hi and my dad was like we'll be with you in a minute shut the door and my mom my mom and I were like trying to eavesdrop and my mom was like walking to the door pacing back and forth by it I don't know what my dad said to this guy I'll still never know but the guy he didn't try a thing (laughs) and I only dated him a few months and then I went off to college Yeah, he was like a summer boyfriend yeah you know the job interview I don't know what my dad said, but he was very proper with me. <laughs> That's amazing. He's, yeah. He was probably scared to death. Yeah, I have no idea what he said, but but I did I did have like a like one or two high school boyfriends, but I I sort of knew that I wanted to go to college. I knew I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to go to either New York or L.A. I knew all of this in high school, and so. Um, I didn't take anyone from high school very seriously.
1: I was going to ask, like, where did you get your heart broken? But it no, sounds like you were
2: pretty. I, I did not get my heart yeah. broken until college, mm-hmm. and then I got a decimated. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Then I was like super ugly Oprah cry. So where? So let's
1: get let's get into that then. So you knew that you wanted to go to LA or New York. You went to New York. Mm-hmm. Where'd you go to school?
2: Well, I went to or college went in to... Texas. Okay, gotcha, my mom, gotcha. Gotcha.
1: Gotcha.
2: Um, all three of my sisters at one point dropped out of college. And then they went back to school later in life. And mm-hmm. so my mom was like, you are not dropping out of college. I'm see this through for yeah. you. Yeah, And so my mom, her stipulation was a uh, private religious religious uh, university. Okay. Because she thought maybe there'd be less partying and mm-hmm. less reason to drop out. So um, I applied to a few colleges like that. And uh, I ended up going to Baylor, mm-hmm. which was a Baptist, Oh, that's right. I didn't know university. that. I'm sorry. And I actually, I loved Baylor. I had a great time. And, um, but, um, so I really liked this guy, and we sort of um, started dating. My I had a few college boyfriends, mm-hmm. you know, but just nothing very serious. And then mm-hmm. my senior, my junior year, I met a guy, and I really liked him, and we started dating. He was older than me; I was a junior, he was a senior. And then he got a job that required him to travel, and he left. And um, mm-hmm. I would go try to visit him, but. Long distance relationships are so hard. And I yeah, think. Yeah, no I, matter how
1: old you are. Doesn't
2: matter how old you are. I think there's something to just having to be around each other. Because what happens is, um, then when you go see each other, you just. You just, you don't want to bring up anything serious. Mm -hmm. You just want to. We have to cherish this time. We can't be real people. We We have to be be movie people. We have have to to be be... super happy people. Yeah. And then sometimes, like, what happens is you don't talk to the person every day. So then you stop sharing your life with them. Sure. That's huge. That's the biggest thing. Like, so they don't know about your bad days or your good days. And then when you see them, you don't know how to catch it up. Yeah. And so I think he kind of had the foresight before I did. And he just, he sort of did that thing, though, that guys do where they make you break up with them, but they just keep behaving so badly that you have no choice. Yeah. But girls were like, well, maybe he's doing that because... (laughs) Or maybe... And then finally, you just don't feel valued at all. And then you just like break up with them and then they so quickly are like, Oh well okay if you say so right. right. <laughs> You're like, dang it. Yeah. You just Where's the four? Why don't you fight for me? Why yeah. you yeah. But like really he it was over for him. Yeah. For a while and I just didn't want to see it. So um that was really hard. And then he came back to college for like homecoming And um, like I didn't see, he was there for the whole weekend. I never saw him. And you know, all that stuff is
1: really oh That feeling too of a long distance relationship. And just even no matter what you're doing when you're, when you're in your teens and and early twenties, it just seems to me that feeling of, I just feel like I had that feeling in my throat and in my Mm -hmm. stomach so much more than I do now. Just the feeling of like, why hasn't he called or this, this really hurts. And I don't know how to tell him that it hurts because I don't think that's going to solve anything. Like oh, telling him that I'm that I'm crushed. You don't, yeah. want to be, you don't want to be vulnerable, and then yeah. and then it's how scary. do you protect yourself from that? And you that's... know, do you not communicate it and just
2: hang on, or mm-hmm. do you cheat on him, or do oh, you my goodness, you know yeah. all those different? And then you have like two or three girlfriends, and they all have a different opinion. Because like my roommate in college was like. Um, you deserve better. I would totally dump him. You know? <laughs> and then I had another friend who was like, no, he's just working really hard, you know, yeah. and you just got to give him some space. And, yeah. and then you have all those voices in your head. I was, I, I was talking to
1: a, a girlfriend of mine that I went to college with about this podcast. And she said, the first thing that came out of her mouth when I told her I was doing is that she said. I wish I could just time travel myself back with, with the book. He's just not that into you and give it to my college self. Cause I really Really think I would have benefited from it. Like, oh, that's still my a friend of mine wrote that, and and uh, it's nice to know that it still resonates. Like, it just you yeah. know, it's it, it, sometimes you need to yeah. exactly what you just said about this guy in the long distance relationship. Like, at what point do you realize? Oh, he's just not going to do anything. Like, he's right. not even going to break up with me.
2: Yeah, he's just going <laughs> to. He's, he's just. We're gonna, not even in the same city, he's so he's going to really his thing. do very minimal to maintain yeah. this relationship. Yeah, I used to say this thing all the time. I still say it to myself too because it's still easy to get your feelings hurt and have friendships that disappoint you and relationships that don't work out I've learned even later in life. I know. I kind of
1: wished all that would stop but that's why that's another reason for the podcast is guess what we all still stay teenagers in some way.
2: Right well we all still struggle with relationships no matter how old you are. I see my mom like my mom has a really uh, had a very close friend of hers and they've just sort of drifted apart in their 70s you know so it happens but um, I, um, I used to just say to myself like people do what they want to do so if they want to work on it or if they want to listen to you or if they want to um, call you just because or pick you up at the airport like it's like people do what they want to do at the end of the day and so it's like well then where's their heart it becomes very clear
1: yeah that's actually true we try to we it's it's we try to protect ourselves sometimes by making it super complicated right um so okay so you went to baylor and then how are we doing on time okay so you, had told you.
2: I know. Um, you, I was, <laughs> was like, there's no way fly we can fly talk by. for an hour. Um, um, I don't think I've said anything interesting, by the way. But that is absolutely <laughs> okay. not okay. true. I'm taking a uh, advice, Paul would have fallen asleep
1: if you weren't saying anything interesting. I don't know. His He's eyes been very cool. interested. Um, so, okay, so, so you finished at Baylor, and then you... how What what took you to new york i know you wanted to be there but did you just decide to move after college or did you get the job
2: the internship and that's what moved you out or well i am from my hometown is larry mcmurtry and he's a writer um and he wrote terms of endearment the last picture show um he wait didn't james um, l brooks write terms of endearment do they write it together well he wrote the book oh okay yeah, yeah. Um, I don't believe that there are books i i to me there's only movies um I think like the most famous one he did is um uh, lonesome dove mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then um,
1: i kn- i knew of I, I mean i know him as an author but for some reason i, I went straight to show business because i knew that's what you wanted to right, do right. so i was like I, now this movie this movie script that he supposedly wrote i may have uncovered a big problem here
2: oh no, no i wrote the now book. now i'm like copy that he? now i'm all of a sudden like in my head no i'm Google sure you're it. right
1: i'm sure you're right i just um, had terms of endearment the movie in my head
2: and now I need to Google it, honestly, because now I'm not sure. But anyway, he's a very prolific writer. Lonesome Dove
1: is credit enough.
2: Oh, yes, last picture show, and then um, he did the adaptation of Brookbeck Mountain for the screenplay. Mm-hmm. So, and he has bought up all of downtown Archer City, all these old little buildings. Oh, wow. We have the biggest rare book collection in the How southwest. How cool is that? It you know, so kind of wild. Like we don't have a hospital. We don't have a real grocery store. We have six bookstores. Wow. <laughs> so it's kind of funny because I feel like some of the people in our town, like they love it. But at the same time, they're like, sure, it would be nice to have a hospital. <laughs> um, but um, Just read a book about how to stop guy. your heart
1: from attacking
2: itself. So my mom's friend um, is his sister. And she was helping him with the bookstores. And I would hang out there quite a bit with my friend Teresa after school. Yeah, you guys were rebels. I know, rocking it at the (laughs) book. And Larry would come in town and he doesn't, I know he doesn't remember this, but it's one of those moments that was pivotal for me. And sometimes people just can really just throw out like a very sort of throwaway comment Mm -hmm. that will stick with you. So I'm always kind of aware of that. Mm -hmm. But I was applying for internships in L.A. and New York. And Larry just said to me, he goes, go to New York. He goes because if you can make it in New York, really, you can make it anywhere. And he, he may have like, stole that copyright. I think he from did from someone else. And he was like, you know, you just should try New York because it's a very vibrant city. He sure was right, huh? He's being said, that like that's the age mm-hmm. to do it. Yeah, and he said it's a vibrant city and it's full of so much diversity. Mm-hmm. And um, he said L. A. is kind of a slick city. Yeah, and he was like, I just personally, I would go to New York first. Love and it. he said, you have all the time to go to L.A. So I did. I, so I applied for this internship on Conan, and I hear no word. I call every day. I leave this message on this voicemail for the internship program on Conan O'Brien. No word. No word. No word. So then um, I have nothing but time. I've moved back home with my parents from college. I'm feeling like a loser back in my bedroom from high school. right? And so every day I would call um, NBC's main line. And I would ask for a different department. So I'd be like, internships go to the voicemail. Um, Like a PA program voicemail. Page program voicemail. So then I called up one day and I said, "Um, Hi, I was just talking to a woman about an internship on Conan. I got disconnected. (gasps) And this woman goes, oh, you mean... And I forget the lady's name, but, oh, you mean Kathy? I'm like, yes, I was talking to Kathy. You are good. And then she was like, well... um, let me um see you know, let me put you through and then I got her assistant and they were like, She's on the phone and I said, Well, I was disconnected from her. I was talking about an internship and she goes, Okay, um, who did you say this was? And I was like, eh, It's Angela Kinsey and so she was like, Okay, well we'll um We'll call you back. And I gave my phone number and then uh, no one called me back. (laughs) And then so the next day I used the assistant's name. I said, Hi, I was talking to Regina, Kathy's assistant. You're awesome. I had to get, I could not live with my parents another second, like right out of college. I was going crazy. So (laughs) I love my parents, but you know that it is weird going. No, you're ready. Yeah. If you've been to college, you don't, that it does feel like going backwards, I think. And I had no plan in Archer City, Texas. I had a plan that involved New York City. Right. Um, but I knew my parents sort of would be really hesitant about me moving to New York without a plan. That's my dad. My dad's a big planner. Yeah. So I'd have to go and present him this plan because I was going to need some of their help financially, you know. So I had to have a real legitimate hook to, yeah. get to New York. So then um, I I called back and I said I was talking to Kathy's assistant, Regina. So they put me through and regina was out sick or something she was out whatever her name was she was out that day so kathy picked up her own line she goes, hey it's kathy and i go hi kathy i was talking to regina yesterday about an internship on the conan o'brien show and she goes well we have one on conan available and we have one on um for like the today show for the news and um she was like did you leave me a message on my voicemail i said i did and she goes, and did you, you, you know, send me your resume? I said, I did. And she goes, huh? And she goes, and how did you get this number? Uh-huh. And I said, um, well, I got your name because I called every day. And finally, I got your name. And then I just asked to be put through to you. And I lied. And she said, really? And I said, yeah. And she goes, could you come <gasps> day after tomorrow for an interview? And I said, yes, I can. Now, I'm living in Archer City, yeah, Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have a plane ticket. I said, yes, I can. I said, could you make it in the afternoon? Because I'll be flying in. And she was like, I'm sure in her head, she was like, all right, hot shot. I so love it. I got off the phone, and I went downstairs to my parents. And I was like, I had gotten money for graduating from college, you know, from relatives yep. and stuff. And I said, um, I need to get a plane ticket to New York City for day after tomorrow. Oh. And my parents were like, what? And I said, Mom, you can come with me, or I'll go alone. And she's like, I'm coming with you. What are we doing? (laughs) So so then I flew to New York and I met with this woman and she goes, she was like, it's very unconventional how you got through to me. And I said, I know, I'm sorry for that, but I just got a voicemail every day and I didn't feel like I was getting any movement. It's something I feel passionate about. She said, okay, you'll start, you'll start in a month for Conan. I said, great. Oh my gosh. And when I started the intern program, I noticed a lot of people there were friends of someone or related to someone. Well, sure, you know, sure. But um, you had to be unconventional. You kind of had to. So I'm sure people. So she thought impressed. I was crazy that I flew out for an internship interview. But I just wanted to be in the world of comedy my whole life. I had wanted to do like stand up or sketch yeah. comedy, and I was writing a one woman show for myself. And I felt like, in particular, getting on a late night talk show and seeing a stand up. Every night do An opening monologue So that's what I did And then I lied I interned for a few months And then They try to Pick people out of The general intern pool To be Specific people's interns And Mm -hmm. then you have More access You Mm -hmm. know You're not at the front You're getting people coffee So they asked me um, there were two internships that were allowed to watch rehearsals or to be down on the stage Mm -hmm. one was the writer's intern because they would run jokes and stuff down to Conan and the other one was the music intern Max Weinberg's intern well the writer's intern was already taken so they said um you know we're trying to f- figure out where to put you as an assistant you know what do you know about music and I was like everything <laughs> I love music and not to be undone no, and not to be stopped not true not true I'm not trying to be a proponent of did line. you play any instrument at all no, Fantastic. no. And then, did you um, enjoy music we all do I, I do enjoy music <laughs> turns out we all like music turns out but like I didn't know much about music so like he, you know Max would send me to um, SIR which was a, a rental company yeah. for instruments and um I literally would go in there with a the list and I kind of flirted with the guy that worked behind the counter, like buddied up to him. And I'm like, hey, <laughs> I, what is this? I have to get it for today. I can't be
1: made a fool of. I must Please make this work.
2: help me. And I think it was very apparent to Max and the band that I was not the most savvy on music because like bands would come. They'd be like, oh my gosh, guess who's here today? And I'm like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> and it was like some famous band. and
1: But that's amazing. I mean, just to not to... To, to derail us here, but this is so much in keeping with what you said earlier about if you're lucky enough to kind of know what you want. Mm-hmm. I mean, the dedication that you had. People, I think, I think people think of creative artistic types because there are plenty of us out there who are not like you, uh, that, that are these sort of floaty poetry reading, like, I don't know, my head's in the clouds, I just know I need to make my art. And, and they don't know how to make that tangible. And I mean, just hearing, just, hearing about your experience growing up and being in Jakarta and then being thrust back into the United States and kind of what you had to do to protect yourself and getting through that tough year and then finding your own way in Archer city. It just, you, and you talked about how tough your mom is. I mean, clearly you're very yeah. tough in the, in a great way, in a sensitive, empathetic way to other people. And you know, you've got, I, I know this sounds like I'm rounding it off. I, I'm a terrible interviewer, but um, the, the, I just, that toughness, you know, the tenaciousness is having that tenacity, especially if you know you want to do this, what a great combination of having that talent, but saying, okay, this is my plan. This is how I'm going to get here. And, being really
2: insistent yeah. about it is so impressive. I wasn't like that at all. Well, I think you have hills and valleys of it. Oh you know, I think we all do. It, it comes in spurts. But my mom taught me something really valuable that. Um, so I end up I'm interning on Conan, and my live stream was to be on Saturday Night Live. That's all I wanted to do was be a cast member on Saturday Night Live, and I'm interning on Conan. And the casting uh, that did sort of like our little extras for different skits and stuff Conan would do. He also worked um, on Saturday Night Live. And as an intern, you don't make any money. And so you're really struggling. I sold my car. That's I had a car and mm. I sold it and I was living on that money. And um, so he said, Angela, do you want to make some extra money on the weekends? I said, "Yeah." And he goes, "All right, well, I do the extras casting for Saturday Night Live." And I was like, "Oh my god, that's great." So I was there is footage of me like reacting to Chris Farley doing stuff oh my and like gosh. so I was an extra and I got to be there for rehearsal and see those guys and then see how the show worked and and so I told my mom. I was like, "Mom, I'm going to be on Saturday Night Live as an extra." It's not really what I wanted. And she was like, "Well, get more specific Angela get more specific oh my god! so like in my wants so then I was like okay so so then I said I want to be friends had come out and I thought it was a really great show so then I said um, I want to be um, on NBC on Thursday nights for the comedy lineup. I want to be on a TV show on NBC <gasps> Stop on Thursday it. night. Yes, I wrote it in my journal. And then my friend and I, we um we drove up to Mulholland when I first moved here. And so we would just sort of shout into the night our want. Oh, it's so I hokey, love it. right? No, but I love but, it. so I shouted, I was like, I'm gonna be so specific. So she was like, I want to find love. Be happy. <laughs> and like, I want, you know, like five children. Like she was like this, like, and um She's about to have her third, by the way. All but right, so all right. I yell into the night sky of L.A. I go, I want to be on NBC on Thursday nights on Angela. a comedy show. Is that crazy oh, Isn't that so bizarre That's so fantastic But I don't tell that story Very often Because I think Like oh people Are going to think I'm crazy But I do think There's something You're For women not crazy No pe- For we- men and women To know what they want and then, I agree And then just don't take no Like I mean you know You obviously Don't want to become A pariah And like right. You know Offend people But just know If it's something You feel strongly about be prepared and do everything you can. Well, I love that idea. And I also, I, I mean, I want to ask you where, so
1: for you, some people just are more confident than others. Mm-hmm. Um, w- one thing I was going to say is I love that you had the humility and the the foresight to know that you could learn from being a page or from, from being an intern and all mm-hmm. of that. Because I think that sometimes people have the drive and the ambition to be, you know, when you're a teen, when you're in your 20s you know what you want you might know that part but you also kind of just expect that that's going to be how you get it is knowing it like oh I'm just going to I I know I want that so I want to be a cast member on Saturday Night Live so I'll just be a cast member on Saturday Night Live somehow that will just work out and 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 the, and I would never be an intern. That's, I wouldn't be an extra. Then they would never take me seriously as right. a da da da. Right. And so for you to have that combination too, of saying, you know, no, I don't know about this, but one way I can find out is to really start from the bottom. Right. And just, be scrappy and fantastic and memorable, and right. and learn and take that knowledge, and then and then take it forward. And I think there's a there's a sort of a laziness to some ambition right. where you just go, well, no, I should. I'm talented enough; they'll figure it out, right? And I think that's a mistake. And I, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, I think the people I um, have worked with in LA, especially on our show, like someone like Steve Carell, um, that I respect so much, what their combination of no ego. And yeah. very hard workers. Yeah. And um and that's like I feel like the people that have a lot of longevity in this business. It's like you can't have an ego and you have to respect everyone you work with no matter what their position. And um and you have to be a hard worker. Yeah. You just do. Like, you know, I had friends, um, and I'm sure people listening to this do too, that I worked at a restaurant with and I was like, What are you doing? Like, I'm an actor. Are you in a class anywhere? because you know you can't always get up on stage I tried to just be on stage as much as I could for myself to get myself out there but like you have to be doing something you can't just say I'm a lawyer and not go to law school or right. a single legal book and yeah. it's the same in the creative profession too if you're a writer then you write yeah if you're an actor then you're doing some casting workshop or yeah. a class you're doing it how do you deal with
1: and this this is something that i think comes up for a lot of actors and writers and and creative people um not just here but anywhere um the i think because maybe you're so creative and there's a vulnerability there fear is such a big part of anyone's life. And it's something Mm -hmm. that we all have to kind of work through and be on a path to, I think, understand and learn to have a relationship with. Mm -hmm. That's not bad. Right. Um, But how, like when you were a teenager, you know, I know we talked about you kind of putting your head down and getting through um, that, that, that year that was tough, but just in general, Especially again with being creative, there's a question here. I promise. Um, wh- how do you get past? Because sometimes that, I think people get pulled back by their fear. Oh, I want to be a cast member on Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. but what if they don't want me? Yeah. And oh, I'll just be I'll be paralyzed by that, and I'll I'll work at a restaurant and tell someone I'm an actor, but part of me isn't taking that casting director workshop because right. I'm so afraid of failing. Mm-hmm. What would you tell? What was your, your approach to that and what would you tell young women who are like, oh, I want to do this but I'm so afraid maybe it's easier just to not do it? Well, I,
2: I think I sort of had this built in inside me but my friend Rachel most recently uh, put it into tangible words that might be more helpful than my rambling. So this, Rachel sort of shared this with me but I've done it my whole life. Um, in my head, I would play out a situation mm-hmm. and I would just see where, where I could see it going and um but how that translates into my life now is like, let's say, um, I'm afraid I'll never find love again, mm-hmm. and then I say to myself, and then what? Mm-hmm. Well, then I'll enjoy my daughter and my friends and my family, mm-hmm. and then what? And then I'll have a great life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and there's there's always and then what? You know, like what if, um, you know, after the office, um, I don't get another TV show. Okay, and then what? Well, I don't know. I'll figure something. Out. <laughs> Maybe I'll get a job, you know, teaching at a college. Okay, and then what? And I'll love my students. And then what? I just like say and then what? And what happens is you take this fear and you just sort of break it down mm-hmm. and you show that that fear really has no power. Yeah. It just doesn't. And I think what I'm also hearing from you not just not just
1: taking the power away from the unknown exactly. of the fear, but also being able to look at it positively. I mean, everything that you've come out of, you've also had a positive aspect. I mean, somebody, somebody listening to this who's very negative could say, "Well, yeah, if I ask the and then what question, I'll just answer, and then I won't have any money, and then I won't figure anything out, and then right. I'll be miserable." But, it, but, am I right in saying that you would you would suggest? Well, then you then you might be the kind of person who's not going to be happy even if you get what you want. Well,
2: exactly, in a sense, exactly, because right? happiness is a choice. Yeah, it's a definite that's choice. What, I guess that's what I'm saying. That, is yeah. I see you. Choosing yeah, to be happy through all is of definitely that definitely a choice. Now, if I don't work on a TV show again, will I be sad about that? Yeah, but I better get ready and pull up you know my bootstraps as the expression goes because I have a daughter and yeah. I better figure something else out you just have to people have to figure things out and um, and that process doesn't have to be scary Yeah, I think fear you should be as comfortable with fear as you are with happiness or anger and I think a lot of times for people insecurity flips to fear yeah um, shame flips to fear yeah and so if you think you're going to get made fun of then you become fearful yeah. right yeah and um, I think Embraced getting made fun of Maybe because I had to go to four high schools In four years And I got made fun of right out of the gate I was like okay this is going to happen I'm going to get made fun of I'm short you know and there'll be short jokes bring them on right i can handle them right Are you tall or you have a big butt or you have funny ears like all right dude own it yeah Yeah. just own it and wear it like a mantle and then no one has anything on you it's so funny that you said that
1: because that was the other thing i was going to say was some was body image stuff because i feel like along with the vulnerability of being creative and the fact that that kind of doesn't necessarily ever go away no matter who you are maybe you're maybe you live in Iowa and you love writing and you wanted to write a book and mm-hmm. you've ended up being a paralegal and you're afraid to write that book and maybe right. you're an actress living in LA and you're you know in your 30s and you feel like your butt's too big That you yeah. know that that stuff doesn't necessarily go away and I know you had talked about having the that you were the are that you were sort of small and boyish mm-hmm. when you were in high school oh yeah um how did you work through your kind of body images? And, and, and does that still come up for you? And as I said... Oh, I
2: think as a woman, it always does. We yeah. just get a little more comfortable with ourselves, so we don't yeah. care as much. But, you know, I, I had an audition um, recently, and um, the casting director, a fan of The Office, but did say to me, well, you're not, you're not like, glamorous beautiful. So, like, you know, you're sort of like that quirky... And I go, Oh yeah, I know what I am. <laughs> I'm not Angelina Jolie. I'm not gonna have a gun strapped to my thigh yeah. unless we're making fun of it. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Like so it's like know who you are and But don't you think that's hard for teenage girls when you see I mean, yes. yeah, you know, I was
1: I was on my way to the airport and I was listening to actually listening to Paul Gilmartin's podcast, um, The Mental Illness Happy Hour, and he was talking to somebody about how they feel about, you know, how important it is for other what other people think of them and that it stays important like it's it's important mm-hmm. when you're a kid and in school and it through your life it can potentially stay too important. You know, what right. does this person think? What is their opinion? And I'm listening to this and we're passing this billboard for like Lucky Jeans or guests or something and right. I see this gorgeous 14-year-old girl with this crazy body whatever yeah. that means in her underwear and just You know how sometimes subliminal messages, you're more aware of them than not? And I just had that moment where clear as day, like someone was saying in my ear, even though I was listening to that podcast, I'm supposed to look like that. Yeah. Like I just heard it. Right. And I thought... Oh God! It's been a while since I had that concrete of a recognition about right. all the stuff that pours into my brain every day that I don't think about, but it gets in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. What do we tell teenage girls? Because I like looking at fashion magazines. I like clothes. I do I'm too. not. You know, I I'm too. not. Uh, I, I'm yeah. not gonna say. I mean, I, I'm not ready to say to be the person to say absolutely not or no circumstances can I look at a model. But if we're going to still have that what are we doing for our kids and for ourselves that makes up for the kind of the negative side of that?
2: Right. I've thought about this a lot with my daughter. She's going to be growing up in Los Angeles. And that's kind of, to me, a scary place to grow up. Yeah. But, um, I think about this all the time. Like if she sees a girl like that, like what I would try to explain to her. And like, one of the things I want to do is like, say, first of all, you know how everybody has a job, You know, if you are really strong, maybe you're great at like digging potholes because you're super strong. And maybe you work in construction because you can lift things. Um, Maybe you're really smart. And so you're a doctor or you have great hand eye coordination. Maybe you love dump trucks. Maybe you love dump trucks, Janet. Um, (laughs) But um, but I want to first of all, explain to her that that girl there, that is her job. And so part of her job is looking that way. And that doesn't mean, like, I couldn't do that job. I don't look that way. And that's very specific to someone. And I kind of want to break it down and take the mystique away Mm -hmm. from it. I love that. Her job is to look like that. Um, And that's not a very realistic job, you know, but it is her job. So I just want to try to say to Isabel, like, I really want everyone to know, like, want my daughter to know that we all bring something so specific to the table Mm. and so you know maybe it's the fact that um you know she's really caring yeah so what do you do with that you use that and maybe you become you know a teacher or a nurse or but um but when i see that girl on the billboard she's chosen that to be her job and her job is based on her looks Mm -hmm. and that is um a job that can can't even last a very long time. Right. So it's like and I'm happy for her and you can be happy for her, but if you don't look like her that's okay, you know. And I I just sort of want to break it down and be like you know. I like that because there's so much less
1: anger there than yeah. there can be. I think it's easy to go to a place of
2: And it doesn't indignance. mean that we don't want to and we also value beauty very differently. Like and I hope that like girls now see beauty through the ages, you know, like yeah. and see like paintings from go to yeah. museums and see paintings from the Renaissance when it was actually, if you were skinny, that meant you were poor and that was right. unattractive. Sure. But if you had a plump tush, sure. you were, you had money and that was considered hot. Sure. You know? So it's all about sort of our perception now. And um, I think one of the things that's great with the internet that you're seeing more people show their talents online, mm-hmm. whether it's someone just sets a camera up at their piano and plays and sings. Mm-hmm. And so I hope that like looks are just one part of it. And everyone's look is different too. Yeah. I think we're having less of like I think Christy Brinkley's beautiful, but it's that very sort of blonde, blue eyed thing. And right. I think you're seeing less people glorified in beauty there like that are that type. It's mm-hmm. more of a diversity. It's more diversity, yeah. But you can't, you know, and I I want to break down the profession because I think you pull the veil back because I'm like, well, Isabel, she had three people do her hair that day. Right. Just like how mommy has like this amazing woman do my hair for my Clairol ads. And then she had someone do makeup and then they touched her up all day long. Yeah. She kept getting lip gloss. Yeah. And then they put a fan on her Uh and made her hair blow Uh like that. Okay. And then she had someone come and, you know, design amazing clothes and then alter it specifically to fit her. How many of us can buy a jacket? off a racket and it fits us exactly like an an alterations person yeah. would alter it especially I for love your all body, and then they had someone look at her body and be like, "You know what? Would accent her hips more is yeah. if she wore a one piece and yeah. not a two piece. Yeah, and let's put a push up bra on her. You know, and all, so and it's then, not just her job. We're thinking about the twenty five other people whose yeah. job it is
1: just to make her look and then like someone's that. Like
2: you know what? Let's make her legs look more toned. We're going to put yeah. makeup on her legs. And worst case scenario, we can fix all of this after we yeah, because the put graphics we will put it through a computer and etch out like any little. Nick and scratch and so I just wanted to know like, I love so that. much went into yeah. that moment yeah. that we don't have
1: to give it that much power I think that's I think that's wonderful do you remember when um, I don't know if you do but Jamie Lee Curtis did mm-hmm. something remember she did like a magazine cover where yeah. she was like don't touch it up yeah you know and she just wanted there was, a, was such a great article and it really stuck with me in terms yeah. of the things that people do that stay with you that yeah. I mean I'm sure it was a big deal for her too because she really wanted to make that statement but that moment of her saying but it's so interesting how unusual it was just to, yeah. it was so unusual to have one woman say I'm famous I don't look like this all the time this is what I looked like before they did stuff to the picture and mm-hmm. this is what I look like afterwards and I need girls to know right that's not real yeah and but I and and I just love everything that you said Angela I think that makes so much sense because it's it's easy to sort of go to the place of just you know my women's studies class in college just going this is wrong and like tearing up the picture and then then living in LA and being in, and that's why one of the reasons I wanted this podcast to be honest about who we're talking to who I am what I'm faced with like what we're I'm not the person on the mountain saying tear up that magazine burn this do that this is right I'm living my life I want to Say to girls, to women, to women older than me, to women younger than us, we don't no we don't have you know nobody yeah. has all of the answers but to give a sense of community so that you can so that someone like you I'm yeah. gonna think about that what you just said you're gonna tell to your daughter helped me because I'm gonna see the billboard and kind of giggle to myself thinking that about the conversation we made had that
2: happen. absolutely yeah. and I think breaking it down like I know sometimes I listen to people and I'm like well your life was very easy your life was very privileged and there wasn't any hardships. so yeah maybe you can have a positive spin or yeah. say that happiness is a choice. But I have to tell you, growing up overseas and then I had one of my very best friends, um, a horrible tragedy happened to her um, in the prime of her life. And she Mm. ended up being uh, paraplegic and um, and and just seeing her life as an able bodied person with, you know, uh, a young woman and seeing all of that change in an instant, you know. And she did not lose her outlook. She got frustrated. She got mad. Um, she had, you know. I remember visiting her one day um, in rehab, and I was like, "You know what? We're gonna have today. We're gonna have a big honk and pity party. Let's do it." Yeah. And we cried and cried and we cussed and we, you know. And then I was like, "And now we gotta. Now we gotta do something else." So it's like, and I, I, I have witnessed people go through extreme hardship in that way and I've had some things happen in my life that were pretty sad and you just can't let that define you you just can't and so you have to find something in yourself and I think those are the people that ultimately succeed and prevail is they're like you can't take it all away from me I have one piece of me that's still mine and just find yourself in that moment and not let it just say who you are anymore Oh, I so, love it. So that that's so is, wonderful. Well,
1: I don't know, like, if any of it makes sense, uh, but I do it feel all like, makes sense. It's fantastic. So. I was, I'm sitting here crying. Um, I don't know how to wrap it up any
2: better than that, um, except that I really want you to say something in Indonesian. Uh-huh. Well, I think the thing I'll just leave everyone with is that that like life is going to be hectic and crazy, but if you can just find your peaceful place. And so in Indonesian, they say this thing when they say goodbye. And I think it's a lovely goodbye because it's not just like, bye, see you later. It actually means to go about your journey peacefully, like wishing someone peace. And so that is Salamat Jalan. Salamat Jalan. Angela, thank you so much. This was wonderful.
1: This show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi.
0: Hey, remember when We could save kittens from trees Or lunch on skyscrapers Bring the villains to their knees Maybe we should